Ooby dooby doo, where are you? Hello, my name is Will and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world celebrating films where helicopters explode. Now Stephen King is one of the most successful authors of the last 50 years. Inevitably, given the popularity of his work, it wasn't long before Hollywood came calling, hungry to turn his stories into films. These big screen adaptations have proved just as popular as King's novels, with films like The Shining, Carrie and The Shawshank Redemption seen now as much-loved popular classics. However, on this show we're looking at one of the bespectacled book writers' lesser-known adaptations, 2003's Dreamcatcher. To help me review the film is returning guest. He's been stuck on the toilet seat, chewing a toothpick, just waiting for me to invite him back. It's Nick Rehack from French Toast Sunday. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing great, Will. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. And good. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm glad to uh, glad to have you back on this podcast. And we're going to be talking about a, a Stephen King adaptation. Now he's obviously a hugely prolific writer. I think he's written. Uh, something like a uh, hundred books now and uh, there have been many adaptations of his work and do you know how many film adaptations there have been of Stephen King novels? Uh, let's go with 27. It's substantially higher than that Nick it's really? 47. Get 47. the hell out of here. What? I know. I couldn't believe it myself. I mean, I I, I thought it was going to be a pretty big number because, I mean, the guy's written a lot of books and, well, there just are a lot of Stephen King films out there. But I was, yeah, I was stunned by quite how many adaptations there have been. And obviously some of his novels now are being, you know, have now been adapted multiple times because, you know, he's been around for so long. Yeah, I mean, and they do remakes every so often. They, what, just did Pet Cemetery, And then some of them kind of, like, their movies and then their uh, uh, t- uh, television series and vice versa. So that's wild, though. Yeah, and we're now even getting a uh, Shining um, a Shining sequel, aren't we? Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to that. I'm keeping my expectations tempered, of course, and it'll be interesting to see how they deviate from the book. But I'm I'm intrigued for sure. I didn't think I would ever see something like that. And I saw the trailer and I was just like squealing for joy. I'm like a little kid. <laughs> well, talking of uh, Stephen King uh, film adaptations, what is your favorite Stephen King film? Uh, I hate to be real basic here, but it's The Shining. I don't know what it is. The last three years, I've become absolutely obsessed with that film. They recently released it on 4K Blu-ray, picked it up day one, and the local theater was doing two showings of the 4K restoration, and I went to both. (laughs) One was on a Thursday, and then one was like five (laughs) days later on a Tuesday, and I went – Rob and Jess from FTS joined me for the second one, but the first one I went by myself, and I just – I enjoy this movie so much. Um, I'll have to send you a picture. I recently picked up a original uh, one sheet of the film from 80, Ooh. and it was weird because most movie posters 27 by 40. This was 27 by 41, so I had to get a custom frame for it. My fiance <laughs> helped, uh, helped me pick it out, and it is – oh, it is so gorgeous looking. And um, I also have the soundtrack on vinyl. They only ever pressed it once. I had to actually get an Italian pressing. Mm. <laughs> But uh, it's so good. I I just I'm obsessed. What is it about? I don't understand why. Yeah. What is it about the film that you you love so much? It's this. It's just this feeling of dread 
you get the sense of dread the entire time, no matter where you are. Like even the score, like in the beginning when, you know, Danny's uh, hanging mm. up by the sink and he's playing with the water after he brushes his teeth. Before the scene even starts, before he gets any visions from Tony, it's just immediately there's this score. And you're just like, why do I feel this way? I don't know if they're hitting a note. I don't know what it is. And just the way Kubrick like just slowly zooms in on things, you're just like something's about to happen at any second. I've seen the film countless times and i'm still like in anticipation of when certain moments are going to happen i'm like oh it's coming it's coming it's coming and then when it does like there's this weird relief but there's still terror there because of what's going on and then i don't i don't know with the 4k restoration there are some gorgeous shots in there not all of it's great but there are some gorgeous gorgeous moments and the score I don't know what they did to the soundtrack, but they amped it up and you can really feel like the cellos and the depth coming through, especially in the second half when, you know, things start to go a little south. Like it really steps up and it really just adds so much more to the film. And I'm just I'm so excited to have picked up the 4K. I'm so excited. Okay, I think it's time we got stuck into Dreamcatcher. So let's listen to the trailer and see if someone can make a heavy handed reference to the film's title. Here's the Duddits, our dream catcher. Wish he was here. A circle of friendship. To the Duds. To the Douglas Cavell. To Duddits. A web of mystery. Jonesy. Yeah, beef. You be careful. Be careful of what? A pattern of fear. And where are they all going? It's not where they're going that worries me. It's what are they running away from? Form the design of an alien invasion. So, 20 years ago, four friends, Jonesy, Henry, Pete and Beaver, help a strange boy named Duddits who's been cruelly bullied. In return, the mysterious Duddits confers on the group of boys uncanny powers that psychically link them. Flash forward two decades and the friends make their annual visit to a hunting cabin in the woods. But when they reunite, they find themselves in the midst of a deadly alien invasion. I'm going to leave the explanation of the plot at that because there just isn't really enough space on the internet to try and lay out the plot fully. But uh, instead, I'm just going to go over the cast. So we've got uh, Damian Lewis, Timothy Oliphant, Donnie Wahlberg, Morgan Freeman, Tom Sizemore and Thomas Jane. The film was written and directed by Lawrence Kasdan, who most people should know from his work penning the script to Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, he's also directed some very good films as well, including Body Heat, Silverado and Wyatt Earp. Uh, Dreamcatcher has a 5.5 user rating on IMDb and a 35% user rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But having got all that out of the way, Nick, what did you make of Dreamcatcher? Dreamcatcher has been a, a weird movie for me. I remember watching it a long time ago and just thinking, like, what the hell is going on? This is <laughs> this is terrible. Like, this is not good. And uh, when you brought up the idea of watching it, I was like, I absolutely want to. And it's weird you brought it up because not two, three days earlier, the French Toast Sunday gang was talking about how insane this movie is and we all need to rewatch it. 
And I'm like, that's kind of weird that, you know, Will would reach out out of the blue to talk about it. I'm like, all right, I'm for it. And uh, going into it, yeah, it's still it's still terrible, but it's amazing at the same time because it's just so insane. There's no gradual pace. There's no like, hey, we're getting there eventually and all these pieces are adding up. It's just like, and we're here, and we're here, and this is happening, and that's going on for no reason. And it's just absolutely bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Yeah, I mean, it's like somebody put bits of uh, Alien, bits of The Thing, bits of Stand By Me into a blender and, like, just hit Blitz. And, oh, yeah. And then kind of quickly drunk all that mess down and then just vomited it back up on the screen and like here's Dreamcatcher because it is just bits of so many different films thrown together in a real hodgepodge way I mean Stephen King is lifting from other sources but he's also like ripping off himself as well with these with this kind of group of boys and there's two separate timelines or they're sort of they're linked by experiences that they had together as a child and they then as adults need to resolve this trauma or incident that happened to them as kids which is something that uh, has featured in 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 multiple sort of king uh, novels and yeah it just is like yourself i just sort of watched this film and i finished watching it and i i was just like i cannot believe what i have just seen i mean it is yeah. We've got a lot of very skilled, very experienced people making this film. I can't believe that all of them collaborated and came up with Dreamcatcher because it just seems to, you know, surely somebody somewhere was going, this is a mess. We should stop and rethink. But no, it, you know, they wrote the script. It got made. It got edited and it got released in cinemas. It is just an unbelievable, unbelievable film. Yeah, and it's one of those things where every step along the way, somebody went, guys, this is great. Let's keep going. Let's keep making it. And the really disappointing thing is you have Lawrence Kasdan directing it. You have William Goldman helping out with the screenplay. Mm. William Goldman has won two Academy Awards. He has written Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Princess Bride, All the President's Men. He has done incredible, incredible – I mean he did the the Hearts in Atlanta uh, screenplay, which is based off another uh, King. He did Misery. He's done like all kind of stuff, and it's like, what did, what are you doing here, man? Like, what are you? It's, it's, it's like when an old rock band from the seventies and eighties is like, hey, we're gonna go on tour and play all the hits, and you see him, and you're like, Rob Halford, you don't have it anymore. What, what happened to you, Judas Priest? What happened to you, Kiss? Like, what's going on here? Well, it's just an extraordinary film. And the tone of it is all over the place because, you know, at moments it seems to be going for some kind of creeping dread, sinister sort of vibe experience. But then it completely undercuts that with moments of like gross out comedy. And so I cannot believe the number of fart gags there are in this film in moments which are meant to be quite tense and... You know, that, you know, adding comedy into those types of moments, it, you know, th that is a, you know, that is something that you get within, you know, horror type movies. But it just in this film, it's clearly just completely inconsistent. And I, I you know, I, yeah. What did you make of the goddamn tone of this movie? Uh, it was insane. I'm so glad you brought up the farts. There are times <laughs> I'm watching this 
and you would hear this little fart sound effect. I'm like, is this morning zoo radio? Is somebody in the edit just have a soundboard and they're like, oh, fart, put a fart here. I'm going to put a fart there. What would have made sense is if they ramp up the tension and then there's a fart joke or some kind of joke to mm-hmm. kind of, okay, we're going to let out some of the steam and we're going to ramp back up again. And yeah. there's a little bit of a joke and then we ramp back up. And then, you know what, instead of a joke, we ramp harder and then go from there. That would have made it a mm-hmm. little more interesting. But like you said, tonally, it's all over the place. It's like, a, then, Far- it's like a Farrelly Brothers comedy yes. in parts. Yes, and every everybody – it's like they whispered to each actor. Like they went to Timothy Oliphant and they said, hey, this is like a weird romantic comedy. <laughs> or they went to Damian Lewis and he said, hey, you know who Jerry Lewis is? Do something like that. <laughs> or they said to Jason Lee, and they're like, just be you. Just go be you. And then to Thomas Jane, they said, hey, this is a really intense drama. And to Morgan Freeman, they were like, just, just go. Just go. Here's some weird eyebrows we're going to glue on your face. Just go. <laughs> Yeah, and none of that melange of uh, influences comes together in oh, any, no. anything, oh, no. anything like a way, uh, anything like a sensible way. I mean, there are just so many catastrophic choices within this film, and I, I, I think the one that really, um, the sequence that really stands out for me is uh, the moment. Um, that takes place when in the cabin in the woods that all of these characters go to. So um, they've gone out to this cabin in the woods for this annual reunion that they do. The situation turns, uh, you know, completely sour when they take in this stranger. He's very sick. He's very ill. And then it turns out that uh, something very unpleasant has been gestating uh, within his body. They trap this creature, whatever it is, within the toilet and one of the characters is, is is sitting on the toilet lid to trap him in there uh one of the other characters goes off to to try and get something to kind of lock this toilet seat down and and this character then decides he really wants to get these toothpicks that have fallen onto the floor you know he wants to get one of them so he can stick it in his mouth and chew on it and you know this guy's facing life-threatening peril but He's going to risk getting off the toilet seat to get a sodding toothpick. And it was this this for me was the jump the shark moment of this of this particular movie. I I, I don't know if it stood out in your mind as much as it did mine. Oh, it's so frustrating because the film could have gone in so many different uh, routes. And you're looking at it like, what are you doing? Just say he's getting tape. Just he'll be right back. Just give us give it a minute. You can't go a minute without a toothpick like and, and they don't even talk about the toothpick. It's just a thing he does. And like when he's taking a mm. shot at the at the bar, he, the toothpick happens to be there. Not once is it addressed. If it was addressed, it it makes no sense. We don't see any childhood trauma where he constantly has to have a toothpick <laughs> in there. It's just it's nonsense. It and would make it would make more sense if you know he had some sort of medical condition and because of this incredibly stressful situation he was in, he was like, oh my god, I can feel my. I can feel my angina coming on again. I really need I really need my tablets. And there they are down the floor. And you can understand why he might then in that scenario risk. OK, I, I'm going to try and get my tablets whilst trying to keep yeah. his toilet lid down. But no toothpicks. I mean, yeah. why does he need them that badly that he's going to risk his own goddamn life and everyone else's life to try and get these toothpicks? Yeah, what the hell's going on with that? And then later on, a very similar thing happens when they're trying to light a match. All of a sudden, magically, all the matches fall from their hand <laughs> in slow motion, and they got to scramble to get one. It, it just it blows my mind because sometimes 
they have this – I don't even know what it is. It's like some of them have shining light. Some of them have shining extra. But they're all able to see these things and know what's going on. But they can't they can't figure out like, oh, I'm going to get on this toilet instead because you're going to f- with a toothpick. Or I'm going to do this instead because I know that's going to happen. Like what are they – the the abilities and powers that they have, it's very just whenever it's convenient to the plot mm-hmm. or whenever it's inconvenient to you know make something scary happen and move it along. It's just – much like the tone, it's just all over the place. We don't know what works for them, what doesn't work for them. We just know that, hey, it's a thing they can do, and it's it's frustrating. It's all across the board. It's frustrating. Yes, because so many aspects of this film just don't make sense. You know, so you've got this this group of friends and, you know, they fall in with this kid called Duditz, who they befriend as youngsters. And he confers on them these abilities, these special powers that allow them to read other people's minds. And I guess it's really a uh, I guess it's really a product of the fact that this is a, a film and they need to keep the runtime down. But the fact that. You know, we see all this take place in flashback, but we don't see the kids react in any way to suddenly having these powers. They don't react in any way to sort of, okay, this Duddits kid, we just thought he was a normal kid. How come he can actually give us special powers? There's no reaction to that. And, you know, that that type of logical, people's logical reactions to experiences that happen to them are just... You know, time and time again with this film, they're just never addressed. And I, I'm assuming it's just because we got to keep this thing under four hours, so we haven't got time to kind of go into all that. We're just gonna, we're just kind of gonna roll with it. Yeah, but you think that some things they would want to explore a little bit. They would want to understand. Absolutely. More. Like, let's figure out what's going on with this toothpick. Or hey, why do I have this weird power? Where are the kids freaking out? That this is where it would be perfect. As soon as they get their power, Little Beaver, all of a sudden he freaks out and he's got a panic attack. And now he's got to have an inhaler. And then mm. whenever he has a panic attack, he's got to use an inhaler. So when he's on the toilet, has a panic attack, oh, no, I'm fumbling with my inhaler. It just so happens to fall in a spot where there's not this gross blood. Yeah. Let me try to reach for it. That makes much more sense. That would add tension. Instead, I'm like, I, don't go for this toothpick. If you go for this toothpick and you die, it's your fault and you're <laughs> stupid because of it. <laughs> Like, I have no sympathy for you. No sympathy. Well, there are a lot of uh, well-known actors in this film. Uh, Who stood out for you for for good reasons or bad, Nick? I think what caught me off guard is I forgot that Timothy Oliphant was in this film. I remember Damian Lewis. I remember Donnie Wahlberg. I don't remember Morgan Freeman, but he's just kind of like there. He doesn't even – like, he doesn't even feel like Morgan Freeman to me. He just feels like you could have put – any actor in that role, and it would, it still would have been, you know, unmemorable. Mm. Um, but I don't apart know what it is eyebrows. about. Apart from the eyebrows, yeah, I forgot about that. It's like he was like an owl. He was like, you ever see what an owl looks like? <laughs> like, of course, Mister Freeman. That's what I want on my face. Like, you want a beak? No, those eyebrows. <laughs> I'd love but, to know. Uh, I'd love to know where that came from. Whether you know Morgan Freeman went to Lawrence Kasdan and just said. You know what? I I I I've really got inside this character, and I feel what I really need to bring this this person to life is really massive bushy eyebrows that look a bit like an owl, or whether yeah. or whether that was Lawrence Kasdan who just thought, you know, I 
I, I see this character in my mind's eye and this is what he looks like and I need you to wear these things. I need you to trust me as a director, as a respected screenwriter. I need you to trust me and put these on and, and just go with it. Or maybe just weirdly enough, it was like a big part of that character. Like part <laughs> of his like defining trait was, you know, these eyebrows and they were like, yeah, let's go with this. Of all the things to not take <laughs> out, let's let this be one of them. But Timothy Oliphant really caught me off guard because he's got this, and I don't know how else to say it, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to the guy because I absolutely love him in Deadwood, but he's just got this stupid look on his face the mm. entire time. This just, I'm dead behind the eyes kind of smile, like, oh, I'm so happy to be here. And he just goes through it like there's no emotion when like anything happens. It's just like, are you trying or are you just cashing a paycheck? Because this feels like a paycheck movie to me. Yeah, I, I, and I think actually you put your uh, you know finger on it uh, at the beginning when you just sort of said when you sort of described that it was almost like somebody had given different motivations to the different mm -hmm, actors mm -hmm. that told them they were in completely different films because none of them none of them they don't gel as a cohesive um, whole at all. Nope. Um, I don't think Damien Lewis is particularly good in this film, although there are some moments actually where I think he is very good and where he uh, he sells some of the frankly bonkers stuff that is in this in this film. So there's a there's a moment which makes absolutely no sense where the aliens take possession of Damien Lewis's body but there is some idea that he is still actually within the character himself he hasn't been completely taken over he's just sort of trapped within himself whilst this the alien sort of takes over his body and you sort of but then there are these confusing moments where you sort of see i don't know i mean it doesn't even make sense i'm struggling even to try and describe it but you there, it's bizarre right yeah there's this there's a sort of there's this moment where damien lewis sort of flicks between alien damien lewis and complete psycho damien lewis it, it doesn't make any sense because there's a third damien lewis which is the true damien lewis he's trapped inside this memory library um but at, at least damien lewis is at least this at least to the viewer there are three distinct damien lewises the fact that the fact that the film doesn't explain why there are three distinct damien lewises is not damien lewis's fault he does what what is in the script he delivers what's on the page he makes it very clear that there are three of them and and he does a great job of of showing the differences between the three uh, <laughs> but uh yeah the film uh, sadly doesn't help him out by actually justifying any of that so i i think he actually does some good stuff in this film although it obviously it doesn't add up to a great performance but he at least you know tries to help out lawrence kasdan with this dog's breakfast of a script that he's come up with <laughs> <laughs> a dog's breakfast oh my goodness i've never heard of that before oh i'm gonna use that though i'm gonna use that so much i want you to know right now i'm taking that phrase and i'm gonna use it i think we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna be looking at the exploding helicopter action MovieMavericks.com, broadcasting current box office breakdowns, movie news and reviews. Now for your hosts, Jason and Trevor. Hey now, even though we're over 200 episodes deep into the Movie Mavericks podcast, it's still not too late to start listening. Where every show we give you 10 truths, 20 lies, and a bunch of Hollywood secrets. It's like existentialism slipping into nihilism. MovieMavericks.com. 
We're back and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. This takes place during the film's climax. Morgan Freeman steals a helicopter and seems intent on revenge against Tom Sizemore for his character's betrayal. Uh, Freeman flies overhead shooting at Sizemore using his uh, attack chopper's guns. Uh, Sizemore returns fire and knocks out the tail rotor of the Hughes 500 helicopter. Uh, with control lost, Freeman crashes his whirlybird into the ground, whereupon on, it explodes nick what did you make of the uh, exploding helicopter action i liked it but at the same time it felt very generic it felt very run-of-the-mill uh i did like the vast explosion at the end i feel oh, like yeah. you don't really get into it in this one you were definitely up in there and the fireball i mean it was it was big, it was taller than the trees you know <laughs> and it's rare that you get one that big usually it's off in the distance or it just kind of explodes and you get like a sphere of fire, but rare, I think. And, and you would know, though, because you've seen hundreds. Hundreds. But just to see like this huge like cascade of fire just coming up out of the earth, like it was just great to see. So while the downing of the helicopter itself was, you know, ho-hum, uh, the explosion was well worth the wait. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a massive explosion. I always enjoy seeing uh, pyrotechnics on on the scale that we get to see here. Uh, one of the things I really enjoyed, and I do I love seeing this in an exploding helicopter, is where a helicopter is uh, fatally damaged. And uh, in this film, we get to see inside the cockpit, Morgan Freeman's at the controls. There are kind of emergency lights flashing on his dashboard and there's a, an alarm sounding as he's waggling desperately at the controls of the helicopter. And then obviously we see the chopper disappear off behind some tree lines before crashing into the, into the ground and exploding. But I do, yeah, I do love to see pilots desperately flailing at the controls, you know, alarms sounding. I, I do like to see that. I do think marks have to be uh, deducted, though, from having the helicopter um, disappear behind that tree line when it impacts with the ground. It's all a bit obscured. I mean, the the ultimate, the big fireball is obviously fantastic. But, uh, yeah, we don't really get to see much detail of this of this helicopter crashing into the ground. Well, I think they did that to save on the CGI budget because they oh, knew yeah. they would need a lot for the worms and the aliens and everything else that we see. So they're like, you know what? Just put some trees up, but we'll we'll put a little bit extra in the pyro. And the special mm. effects were like, hell yeah. I mean, actually, <laughs> do you think into it. how much of the uh, how much of the size of that explosion do you think is just down to the aviation fuel? And how much of it do you think is down to Morgan Freeman's eyebrows just burning up? You know what? I never thought of that before. But if you think about it, that's a very small helicopter. Uh, clearly, you're going to have one, maybe a second person in there. But I, don't, I think it's just a single pilot, just like a scout copter more than anything. That's not going to have a lot of gas. You want to be able to go long distances, see some things and get back undetected. So it's got to be the eyebrows. <laughs> it's got to be when it hits, it goes, but it catches them eyebrows and it's just Woof. gone. It's just <laughs> – it's so ridiculous. I can't I can't get over those eyebrows. Can I say one other thing too? Let me pull this up. He says a quote when they're getting when Morgan Freeman is getting ready to go after everybody. He says, and I quote, These mothers are as harmless as a fox in the hen house, and I'm here to kick some ass. <laughs> what? Are you having a stroke? Am I having a stroke? Because who says that? And then you go off and do the helicopter bit, but like what it, it it doesn't make any sense it's like they had a dartboard and they're like all right we got some old <laughs> phrases here 
and they just threw them out there and like, it's what we got. Let's make it work. It just doesn't. Oh, it doesn't make sense. Now, there is another um, sort of helicopter scene that we probably should uh, address in this film. And this is uh, this occurs a little bit earlier in the film when um, Tom Sizemore, who is uh, Morgan Freeman's uh, right hand man, leads a uh, helicopter attack on the uh, aliens uh, spaceship. And uh, we see these helicopters come in. They they do an attack run and uh, a couple of them get I guess sort of sucked into the uh, alien spacecraft and they sort of get consumed by, I don't know, a force field. Uh, It's kind of hard to really understand um, what's going on in that scene, just as it's hard to understand what's going on in in most of the other scenes in this film. Um, uh, You know, uh, I, for one, I'm going to put my I'm going to put my neck on the line here, Nick. I'm going to say they didn't count as exploding helicopters to me. I'm I'm tempted to agree with you. I think it could go a couple of ways. When I see it, I think of it as the red dust could be or whatever it is. I look at it as a red dust, and it's more of like a sandstorm's coming, and it kind of knocks them out of commission. We don't see an explosion. We don't hear an explosion. So maybe they just got off scot-free and they had to bail. But another part of me wants to believe they just got disintegrated. It was some weird alien force, and they're just gone. They got zapped up. Um, somebody snapped their fingers somewhere and they just withered into nothingness. But I, I, we don't see it. We don't know. So I, I am going to have to side with you in that it is not an explosion. Yeah, I, I think disintegration is probably what happens to them. But we don't have any visual confirmation of what happens to them. And we certainly don't have, in my view, visual confirmation of an explosion so I, I think that we have to uh, we have to exclude those from the uh, from the exploding helicopter cannon. So I think the I think the exploding helicopter death toll in this film just stands at a solitary one helicopter in this movie. And it's a shame, too, because I can't for the life of me think of any film where a helicopter is just disintegrated while midair or in action. And it would have been really cool to see something like that. Well, you can put that out there as a you know as a as a copyright free idea for for filmmakers. Uh, there you go. You know to to take and take it. You know it's uh, available. It's available to you under Creative Commons uh, license. Perfect. There, there you go. There's the exploding helicopter podcast. We're you know we're a public. If we're we're nothing if we aren't a public service. Bingo. Exactly. And I couldn't be more happy to be a guest and be a part of it. <laughs> Okay, I think that just about wraps things up for this show. Nick, thanks again for joining me on this show. Would you like to uh, take a minute to plug your own podcasting and inform our sceptical listeners that you do actually have a new episode up online? We have a few episodes up online. I'm so excited. I know, I know. I'm so excited to say this. We are actually back. (laughs) I've been saying it for a while, like, yeah, we'll be there. Yeah, we'll be there. It's official. We're finally there. We've been recording. Um, I've been editing. Currently, we're just on a bi-weekly schedule uh, until we can nail down some more specifics to go back to a weekly. But we are a bi-weekly podcast right now. We had an episode about space films. Uh, we had a very big catch-up episode. We have some really exciting topics that we are looking forward to getting into. Uh, I don't have them in front of me or I would share some with you. So definitely check those out wherever you get your podcasts, frenchtoastsunday.com 
I believe the Twitter is still active at FTS Tweets. And as far as myself goes, obviously you can catch me here on Exploding Helicopter and some previous episodes too. Give those a listen. But I'm on and off on the Lambcast. Recently, there was a Lamberty episode. I contributed some questions and categories, so that's always a fun chuckle. Uh, so check all that out. Thanks, Nick. And as always, don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website, explodinghelicopter.com, for reviews about films where helicopters explode. We'll be back soon, but until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Please, don't hurt us. We're dying. There's, There's no, no infection, infection here. Whose radio is that? It's not the radio, boss. They're putting it directly into our heads. We are helping. There it is, gentlemen. We are dying. There is no infection here. Directly into our heads. This gives you an idea of what we're up against. There's no infection. Now, if anybody's thinking why those poor, helpless little folk, all naked and unarmed beside their crashed intergalactic way to go, what kind of a dog, what kind of a monster could hear that heartbreak and go in just the same? Well, I'm that dog. I'm that monster. These mothers are as harmless as a fox in a hen house, and I'm here to kick some ass. Are you with me? Yes, boss. Roger that, boss.